This is another QuackCast. It is the 177th QuackCast, and it's called More Lime Guidelines. Guidelines and quotes. As always, the references can be found over at sciencebasedmedicine.org. I noted with understanding that the doubtful news can't take it anymore. The relentless sewage slurry of pseudoscience, and who says I can't alliterate, has worn her down. She is, quote, experiencing a phase in which I can't seem to bring myself to promote another ridiculous story in the media about a haunted location, scary sounds from the sky, or the latest outrage fueled by ancient superstition. You might call that jaded. It's been over four years now of nearly daily effort to keep track of the weird world of woo. It can wear one down to when virtually or literally the same thing appears and reappears over and over as if it hadn't already been passed around a million times. I sympathize. I have had a touch of the scam ennui of late. It is a bit due to the repetitiveness you find in scams. I still find the variations on the themes of pseudomedicines curious. It is like infectious diseases where every case has some unique and subtle diversity so that no two scams are the same. But there are almost 4,000 clinical trials on acupuncture and I would wager they all have several of the same half dozen fatal errors. It is like hand hygiene at work. We have known that for, oh what, 160 years that hand hygiene prevents the spread of disease, but people still can't do it right. We know what is required for a good clinical trial, but the scamsters just can't seem to figure it out. The ennui is not the seeming futility of the endeavor. I have always been comfortable with futility, secure as an example, in the knowledge that someday I will be consumed by the bacteria I spent a career killing. Unless, of course, they get me cremated right away. I keep looking for a motto for the Society for Science-Based Medicine. I am attracted to syphilis, syphilis, Sisyphus had it easy. I think I'll keep that mistake in there. Sisyphus had it easy. The painful necessities of Lyme literacy. There are some topics I feel an obligation to cover, a necessity that is hard to tackle with enthusiasm, not unlike taking out the trash. But after six years of writing for this blog, I fear I am running out of ways to discuss scams in novel ways. Simply rolling my eyes and making a gagging motion is hardly a sufficient blog entry, which is my initial response to Evidence Assessment and Guideline Recommendations in Lyme Disease, the Clinical Management of Known Tick Bites, Erythema Migrans Rashes, and Persistent Disease over at the National Guideline Clearinghouse, the NGC. Not unlike the Publishers Clearinghouse, the NGC are not responsible for the content of the product they offer as long as the guidelines meet their criteria. But I doubt they are going to send me a big check anytime soon. Some of those criteria include, quote, a description of study selection that includes the number of studies identified, the number of studies included, and a summary of inclusion and exclusion criteria, a synthesis of evidence from selected studies, a detailed description or evidence tables, a summary of the evidence synthesis included in the guideline that relates the evidence to the recommendations, e.g. a descriptive summary or summary tables. I am reminded of several posts ago when I discussed how the system was gamed to allow a naturopathic clinic to become a center of excellence. 
I have filed a Freedom of Information request to get more information on that farce. I get the hint that these Lyme guidelines are the same. This guideline is like the curious incident of the dog in the nighttime. It is not what is mentioned that is interesting. An update and a downvote. There are numerous issues with the International Lyme and Associated Disease Society guidelines, some of which I have discussed in the past. One problem I have as I write this is that the IDSA guidelines are being updated with an expected release date in the fall of 2016. So we have to wait for at least a year before I can have a more reality-based approach to Lyme disease. Time and energy preclude addressing every part of this brief guideline. I hope that when the IDSA releases their guidelines, they will do a compare and contrast with the Iliads. But I will not hold my breath. When it has come to Lyme disease and vaccination, the IDSA has not been on the front lines on defending science against pseudoscience ever since the Lyme lawsuit they had. So I will focus on one section, the need for retreatment of Lyme. Quote, in the panel's judgment, antibiotic retreatment will prove to be inappropriate for the majority of patients who remain ill. Prior to instituting antibiotic retreatment, the original Lyme disease diagnosis should be reassessed and clinicians should evaluate the patient for other potential causes of persistent disease manifestations. The presence of other tick-borne illnesses should be investigated if that had not already been done. Additionally, clinicians and their patients should jointly define what constitutes an adequate therapeutic trial for this particular set of circumstances. When antibiotic retreatment is undertaken, clinicians should initiate treatment with four to six weeks of the selected antibiotic. This time span is well within the treatment duration parameters of the retreatment trials. Variations in patient-specific details and the limitations of evidence imply that the proposed duration is a starting point and clinicians may, in a variety of circumstances, need to select therapeutic regimens of longer duration. What do you call a recommendation based on very low quality data? Belief. Belief is what you do in the absence of data. Like most of the Iliad's recommendations, the recommendations often strong recommendations, are based on low-quality data. But more than basing their suggestions on low-quality data, they ignore the fact that there is data that contradicts their position. There are clinical trials that address the issues of retreating Lyme. Like all clinical trials, you can find issues in the study design when you read them carefully. But they say more or less the same thing. Treating patients with persisting symptoms of Lyme has no long-lasting effects. Examples. A randomized placebo-controlled trial of repeated IV antibiotic for Lyme encephalopathy. Quote, IV ceftriaxone therapy resulted in short-term cognitive improvements for patients with post-treatment Lyme encephalopathy, but relapsing cognition occurs after the antibiotic is discontinued. Study and Treatment of Post-Lyme Disease, a Randomized Double-Masked Clinical Trial. Quote, because fatigue was the only outcome that improved and because treatment was associated with adverse events, the study does not support the use of additional antibiotic therapy with parenteral ceftriaxone in post-treatment persistently fatigued patients with PLS. And two controlled trials of antibiotic treatment in patients with persistent symptoms and a history of Lyme disease. Quote, 
There is considerable impairment of health-related quality of life among patients with persistent symptoms despite previous antibiotic treatment for acute Lyme disease. However, in these two trials, treatment with intravenous and oral antibiotics for 90 days did not improve symptoms more than placebo. You can, of course, quibble over issues in these studies. I can with every clinical trial. But all the information we have points in the same direction. There is no persisting symptoms after treatment for Lyme that are amenable to further antibiotic therapy. And the above studies are much better than those used to support retreatment. I love killing microscopic corkscrews. As an ID doc who spends a lot of time with hard-to-kill organisms, spirochetes are refreshingly susceptible to antibiotics and die with ease. I am well aware of the various arguments to suggest that Lyme has developed ways to avoid being killed by antibiotics. That would be a blog entry in itself. But I have read the papers and find them less than compelling. And, when considering the biology of spirochetes, probably not even wrong. I have suspected that the complete lack of response to even months-long courses of IV antibiotics is a strong clinical suggestion that there is nothing there to kill. Patients being treated for chronic Lyme just never seem to really get better with Iliad's-based therapies. Don't trust the antitrust. In 2006, there was an antitrust investigation by the Connecticut Attorney General that cost the Infectious Disease Society of America money it could ill afford. They settled, and as part of the settlement, the IDSA agreed, quote, to convene a review panel whose task would be to determine whether or not the 2006 Lyme guidelines were based on sound medical scientific evidence and whether or not these guidelines required change and revision. I will also mention with no irony that one of the complaints about the IDSA guidelines was that those who were involved with their production were compromised by ties with industry and biased against chronic Lyme and its treatment. The National Guidelines Clearinghouse document was written in part by the President of Iliads, the organization that is the biggest proponent for long-term treatment of Lyme. Oh no, no bias here. Keep on moving. And now the big reveal. And here are the results of the IDSA review. 2006 recommendation. To date, there is no convincing biologic evidence for the existence of symptomatic chronic Borrelia burgdorferi infection among patients after receipt of recommended treatment regimens for Lyme disease. Panel determination. The review panel determined that this recommendation is medically, scientifically justified in light of all the evidence and information provided. 2006 recommendation. Antibiotic therapy has not proven to be useful and is not recommended for patients with chronic, greater than six months, subjective symptoms after recommended treatment regimen for Lyme disease. Panel determination. The review panel determined that this recommendation is medically, scientifically justified in light of all the evidence and information provided. And they further noted on review, quote, the prospective controlled trials for extended antibiotic for Lyme disease have demonstrated considerable risk of harm, including potentially life-threatening adverse events. Prospective controlled clinical trials have demonstrated little benefit from prolonged antibiotic therapy. The risk-benefit ratio from prolonged antibiotic therapy strongly discourages prolonged antibiotic courses for Lyme disease. The NGC guidelines not only use weak data, they ignore data that doesn't fit their worldview. 
I suspect that next they will run for President of the United States. And that ends the 177th QuackCast. Wander on over to edgydoc.com where you can find all the links to my growing multimedia empire. Talk to you next time. Bye.